Good morning, everybody. What do you say? Happy Labor Day? I don't even know what you say. Happy Lazy Day, I think. That's what we're going to be doing, aren't we? Just laying around. My name's Tim, by the way. Your first time here. I'm sorry I scared you, but we're in a series of lessons. And let's move on because I, I noticed now you can hear me. Last week, it was a silent feature. Last week, uh, we, somehow I messed up my microphone. I tried to re-record it, uh, and uh, it's okay. But uh, it's good to have sound back and uh, good to be uh, talking to you this morning on the life of Joseph. I've been trying to figure out when to stop this series. I was going to to stop it this week. I may go another week, one more, to make it an even ten. I know it's been a long series, but it's been a good series as far as I'm concerned. We see how God works everything for good in our lives. We see it in the life of Joseph. There's nobody in the Bible whose life has been meticulously covered almost from start to finish like Joseph's. And um, we've learned so much today. I want to talk about... Um, about this last wish that he makes in, in the Old Testament. Now you might ask yourself, why do we, why are we reading the Old Testament? Why do we study the Old Testament? A lot of churches don't even bother to look at the Old Testament. Old Testament's important, folks. Look at the couple of verses here up on the screen that explain this. It says, whatever was written beforehand, talking about the Old Testament, Paul's talking to the Roman Christians. He says it was meant to instruct us on how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope. And endure all things. So the Old Testament, the stories give us hope. They get, help us endure. They teach us. They warn us. They point us in the right direction. They show us how God works. How He works in the lives of His people. How He works in this world. He, it, 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 these stories show us the kind of response He wants from us. What kind of response God wants from us. Look at this next passage. Again, He's telling, talking to the church at Corinth now. It says, the things that happened to those people are examples. They were written to be warnings for us. You know, to help us understand some things is what he's saying. To warn us, to encourage us. We, it says, we live in the time that all those past histories were pointing to. So we learn a lot of lessons then to help us deal with today. Now, um, Hebrews 11 has a list of lots of different stories. I don't know what your favorite story is, what your favorite... Bible story is. I know right now my grand, some of my grandkids are going through the story of Charlotte's Web. You all know Charlotte's Web. I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. White, reading Charlotte's Web. Uh, we would, she'd have a little reading time and we'd listen about Wilbur and Templeton and Charlotte and how Charlotte saves Wilbur's life. And I remember cringing in the fourth grade thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I, we were pig farmers and I remember going home having more respect for the pigs because of that story. And uh, I, I don't know what story is your favorite, which one you like. Um, there's lots of them in the Bible, though, that are very good. They're worth repeating, worth telling again and again. And Hebrews 11 lists a lot of these stories, and he relates them to people of faith. He says, by faith they do this, by faith they do that. And as you read Hebrews 11, you learn, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. And you say, well, of course, that's what the story's about. You get that. And then you see, by faith, you know, Moses, he, he uh, sees a burning bush and, and he leads the children of Israel out of, of Egypt. And you say, of course, that's the big, that's, if you're making a movie about Moses, you've got to have that shot in there because that's the big thing. That's the biggest expression of, of faith there. Uh, by faith, Noah built an ark. It didn't say by faith he gathered the animals. He built an ark. And you expect that because the story of Noah has that. That's the exceptional part 
of um, Noah's faith. It expresses itself in the most, the greatest way in his faith in building this large boat. You see, uh, by faith, it goes on and talks about by faith, Abraham left his, his, the land he was in, in Ur, and goes to Canaan. By faith, never been there before. By faith, he offers his son Isaac. And you say to yourself, of course, I've read that story. And if you're familiar with that story, that's what you expect the Hebrew writer to write. And then he gets to Joseph. And I don't know what you're expecting with Joseph, but look what it says here in Hebrews 11, verse 22. It was faith that made Joseph, when he was about to die, speak of of the departure of the Israelites from Egypt and leave instructions about what should be done with his body. What? I thought what I expected. I mean, you think they could be a mistake here. Honestly, I'm looking at this going, how could that be? Because that doesn't seem to be... Is that the greatest expression of Joseph's faith? And when I read the book of Joseph, I don't know about you, but I read it, I don't get that idea that uh, this is what would really the zenith, the greatest expression of his faith is about what to do with his dead body. I mean, everybody knows what to do with a dead body. Get rid of it, okay? And, and my dad used to say, when you bury me, bury me with my head sticking out so I can see everything that's going on. We did not fulfill that last wish of his, by the way. But, you know, you think about it. When you look at the life of Joseph, and we covered quite a bit of his life in this series, I would think that by faith Joseph would be say something like this, endured the suffering that he encountered from his family or the rejection from his family was able to, was able to uh, make the best out of being in prison and continue to trust the Lord because the Lord was with him and blessed everything he did. Or maybe something about he overcome temptation when, when Mrs. Potiphar was you know, flirting, and, and he, but he overcome that temptation. That's what I would expect to hear. Or, he, or by faith he forgave his offenders. But these are not mentioned, although they are expressions of faith. This is not the highlight. This is not the the thing the Hebrew writer thinks of that stands out in Joseph's life. No, the greatest expression of Joseph's faith in God is seen when he's about to die. When he's about to, to leave this earth. It's his last wish. His final words. It's near the end. Look what the Bible says here in Genesis 50. Here's what he says. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will take care of you. He will lead you out of this land to the land He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph had the sons of Israel make a promise. He said, promise me that you'll carry my bones with you out of Egypt. Joseph died when he was 110 years old. Doctors prepared his body for burial, and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. You can learn a lot about someone from their dying words. Do you agree with that? Yeah, they're dying wish. I got on the internet early this morning and I just typed in crazy last wishes. I had a ball. Houdini, Houdini, his crazy last wish was he wanted his wife to do a seance every Halloween because he died on Halloween so he could communicate with her. She did it for 10 years and gave up. People are still doing it. It's a thing people do. They want to communicate with Houdini. I read where a guy's last wish was to, at his funeral, not to be in a casket, but to be standing. And so the mother asked, could you please make it possible for my son to stand 
I mean, what's he going to be in the receiving line? How's this going to work? You know, you shake his hand, an arm comes off. This is this is gross. What is that? But and and he was able to pull it off. Uh, there's a there's an author, uh, an English author, who uh, his last wish was his will was uh, I want to give everything I have, all my possessions to my wife under one condition. My last wish is that she remarry immediately. They asked him why, and he said. Well, I want at least somebody in this world to really miss me. Let it sink in. Yeah, yeah. Jack Benny, some of you don't know who Jack Benny is. Some of you older folks know who Jack Benny is. Famous comedian. Uh, had a show and was, was famous in movies. Um, him and, he, he and his wife had this very volatile relationship in their marriage. And uh, in fact, uh, he's known for going, well, like that. And his wife took credit for that because in a fight, she scratched his face and he used this gesture to cover it up for a while. And he learned it was a, he started using it by habit. Well, after he passed away, his dying wish was that a rose be delivered, a single rose be delivered to her every day. He put a trust fund and for the next 10 years, she received a rose every day. And he was doing that not to rub anything in. He said, that's how I truly feel about you. That's a sweet one, isn't it? There's lots of last wishes and you could have a ball reading all about them. Joseph has a last wish. And it's kind of strange when you first read it. It sounds kind of strange. But it's, it's his last wish to be, what to be done with his body. He doesn't want to be buried back home. You know, when his dad died, they took his body back to Canaan and buried it with Abraham and Isaac and the rest of the family. They had a family plot there. Joseph says, no, I don't want you to do that with me. I want to stay here in Egypt with you. I want you to, I, I don't even want you to bury me. I want, I want you to just put me in a box and just, I want to hang around for a while. And by the way, for a while meant 400 years, folks. 400 years he's waiting around. And what we see is, it, this last wish of his is shaped by his faith. Because he lived by faith and he also died with his faith in God. So I thought to myself, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from um, from Joseph, from his last wish? Let me give you four, I think, great principles to live by when it comes to your faith in God. First, my faith in God determines how good my finish can be. My faith in God. I notice I didn't say will be. It can be. My faith in God determines really the kind of finish, how good it's going to be. And Joseph was known for God working good in his life. Billy Sunday said these words. He said, stopping on third base adds no more to the score than striking out. It doesn't matter how well you start if you fail to finish. You know, it's true. It doesn't matter how you start in life. It matters how you finish. You know, sometimes I see people, I've watched races where people get kind of, uh, have a hiccup or a, a hang-up at the gate, but they finish strong. They finish strong. And that's what really matters. Are you planning to finish strong? How do you plan to finish out your life? You know, like I said before, there are more details about Joseph's life in the Bible, the Bible records, than anyone else in Scripture. I've been to two visitations in the last three days, four days. Two visitations. And I noticed something at both of them. At Susie's brother's visitation and at Alan Hamlin's father's visitation, I noticed pictures. Lots of pictures. You ever notice that at funerals now? There are lots of pictures. 
they got them on the TV. They've got them on poster board. Lots and lots of pictures. And I notice it covers the lifespan of this person. You start, you learn a lot from those pictures. You see them as a kid, you know, uh, teeth are gone. You know, the front two teeth are gone when they're like, you know, the, the little kids. And you see them growing up and they're getting married. And you and you see you see them, you know, prospering. You see them having a job. You see them what to do. You know, at, at the Allen's dad's visitation, they had his boilermaker welding outfit right by the casket. I loved it. Joseph's life is like this. Your life is like this. If some particular reason you die before I do and your family asks me to do your funeral, I guess what I anticipate? Lots of pictures. You can count on lots. They're going to find anything they can find. And nowadays with the cell phone, there's thousands of pictures they can choose from. And Joseph, if he had a cell phone and they took pictures of him, you could see here he is standing with his brothers at a group picture maybe at family in Canaan and he, he stands out because he's got that colorful coat on and you look at the brothers and they don't look very happy in the picture but Joseph's got a big grin, right? And also you might get a snapshot of him as he's sold into slavery. Maybe the guys are taking a selfie as they see the, the slave wagon. They're all grinning now but Joseph isn't grinning. Or maybe there's a picture of him in the pit or at Potiphar's house. And there's a picture of his wife. And there's a, there's a, maybe there's a picture of him handcuffing him and taking him to prison. And he's in prison. He's got lots of pictures of him in prison. And then there's this picture. I, I can imagine if he had it, he would have a picture of him and meeting Pharaoh and, and becoming second in command of all of Egypt. And all the, all the record keeping and all the grain, and, and his career, all the granaries that he filled, and then the famine coming, and then a picture of his brothers, and they've got a sad face again, and he's got a grin on his face again. I can see him with a selfie going, with the brothers in the background going, <laughs> you know, having fun with that. And then here comes his dad, and they, and, and, the, and they get to have, a, there's a family reunion again, a picture, another picture of his life. He gets married. He has a couple of kids. He has grandkids. And now he's getting older and older and older. You know, his hair is getting grayer. And he's 110 years old. We see a lot of details in this man's life. But can I tell you something about this man? As important as he is, as significant as he is, he's like everybody else. He's mortal. He's mortal. He's going to die. He is aware, Joseph is aware, listen, of his expendability. He knows and he understands, I'm only here for a while. I'm only going to be here for a while. And what am I going to do with this life that God gives me? What am I going to do with me as long as I'm here on this earth? And you see Joseph saying, I'm choosing to trust the Lord. Regardless of what happens. And let me tell you something, folks. The greatest decision you can make is to follow Jesus Christ. The greatest decision you make is to put your hope and trust in God. It's the greatest thing you can do. It's not a waste of your life to give, to surrender your life to Christ. To surrender your life to God. And, and Joseph's one of those guys. He lives his life out in faith. And it determines how he finishes. Because he lives that way, his finish matches that life. Look what it says here about David 
Here's another great guy in Scripture. For David served God's purposes in his own time, and then he died and was buried with his ancestors. You're not, we know we're born. You know we're going to die. We're going to die someday. How do, we, how do you plan to finish? What will you do with the time, that little dash between the date of your birth and the date of your death? David said, David's life was, I'm going to live and serve God's purpose in my time, when it's my turn. And if you look at all the scriptures, you see this constantly happening. Moses is hands off his job to a guy named Joshua. Paul, as important as he was, hands off his job to a young guy named Timothy. And what does he say to Timothy? He says, Timothy, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, and I've kept my faith. The faith I started with, I completed. Again, look what Joshua says. And look at these marvelous words of faith here. He says, I'm about to die, but God will take care of you. Just like He took care of me, God will take care of you. I notice something here. Joseph, he's 110. He's not bitter, cranky. He's not negative. He has no regrets. He's not cynical. As, as so many old folks are. You know it's true. Denise and I were talking, and she goes, Tim, I don't, know to, I don't know how to say this. And I go, well, go ahead and say it. She goes, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what, but I'm just getting more frustrated with people. And I said, and you think this is recent? Okay. Uh. And she goes, hey... And I said, no, I, I agree. As you get older, there's this, you get this attitude. Joseph doesn't have, what a marvelous attitude. He isn't cranky and, and critical and negative. You know, I was reading an article early this morning, about five this morning. It talks about people who are positive add ten years to their life. I'm interested. I'm interested. It's almost like God's worked into our DNA. If you're going to be cranky and negative and, and cynical all the time, we don't want you around that much longer. Now, don't look at the person you think is not going to be here much longer. Just think about yourself. But I just think, look, how he's so hopeful. Why is Joseph so hopeful? God's going to take care of you. How can he be so hopeful? He's hopeful because he's faithful. He trusts the Lord. And if you think about it, all he has to do is just take a step back, which old people do. I are one. I do that. Just step back and look at how faith, how good God has made life because of faith, the good things he's done. He can see, you know, God, I had some suffering, but God got me through that. I had some rejection, but God accepted me. I, I was forgotten, but God remembered me. He worked things out for good. I, I had a dream and I thought it was dead, but it wasn't, and God worked that out. And by the way, He's no longer... And th listen, and this is a good lesson for us as we get older. Instead of looking back all the time, Joseph no longer is looking back, folks. He's looking ahead. And as you get, I get older, and I know and some of you young people over there, uh, see, I barely see you, barely hear you too, you know. But as you get older, you're gonna you're gonna have more history. But listen, there's history yet to be made. More history in our eternity. 
earthly here on earth, we should look forward more and more. And that's what Joseph's doing. He's looking forward. He sees the good that's coming. He sees the good he has, but he sees the good that's coming. He sees God still working. He sees God's purpose still in place. His plans unchanged. And he's, he's saying this to his family. Look, I'm not going to be here much longer, but God's going to be with you. Why, why does he say that? Because, well, Joseph goes, what's going to happen to us? As if Joseph's the guy that's the reason they're doing so well. Lesson there? Is there a lesson there? Is there a lesson there, folks, about people in general, about us in general? I'm expendable. You're expendable. But God's eternal. And God will find a replacement for you because you were a replacement for somebody else. So what are you going to do in the meantime with it? Like David, live out your purpose. Like Joseph, find and live out your purpose. Live a life of faith. He said, I won't be here much longer, but God's going to be with you. And He's going to come and lead you out of here into something He's promised. Let me ask you a question here. What will matter to you in your last moments? What do you think is going to matter to you? I got to thinking about that question. What will matter to me in my last moments? Well, here's what I've realized. What will matter to me then will be shaped by what matters to me now. That what matters to me and my last moments are all going to be shaped by what matters to me right now. That's heavy, isn't it? If, if my faith, if my faith is, you know, come and go and whatever and, you know, I'm, I'm not really focused on God, guess what? You won't be focused so much on God as your 401k or your inheritance or what, or whatever else. You know, if you want to die well, I, I almost called this lesson a decent burial or you want to die well. If, if you want to die well, if you want to finish strong, finish with your faith, then make your last, listen, make your last wish your first one. Make your last wish in life. If you want it to be a faith, make your first wish in life a life of faith. I needed to hear that. I just needed to hear that, Lord. Thank you. Look what the Bible says here in Revelation 14. If I do your funeral, I will read this at your funeral. If you're a Christian, I will. I guarantee you, this will be in your funeral. I heard a voice out of heaven. Out of where? Out of heaven. Oh, what's it say? Write this. Blessed are those who die in the Master from now on. How blessed to die that way. I, I, how good to die that way, in other words. What a way to go. If you're going to die, die with your faith in God. Yes, says the Spirit. And blessed rest for their hard, hard work. None of what they've done is wasted. You're not wasting your time following Jesus. You don't waste your time following the Lord and trusting the Lord. It's the best thing you could do with your time. He says God blesses them all, uh, blesses them for it all in the end. So that's the first thing I realized with Joseph. Joseph's teaching me is that my faith in God does determine the, whether my end is going to be good or bad. It can be. The good it can, it can be. Number two, my faith in God reveals where I believe I belong. Your faith, my faith in God 
Your present faith is identifying where you think you really belong. Listen to the author of Hebrews. After he talks about a bunch of the fellows, he says, now I, got, I haven't got time to tell you about this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And he says, they, in Hebrews 11, 13, and 16 here, admitted openly that they were foreigners and refugees on earth. It was a better country they longed for, the heavenly one. Because of their faith, they didn't think this world was their home. I don't know about you, but I get pretty comfortable here. I can get really comfortable here. Especially when it's really good. But look what, look what uh, Joseph says. He, he, he alludes to this. He says, promise me that you will carry my bones with you out of Egypt. I mean, here's a guy who was prime minister, prime minister of Egypt. He was a major figure and think about this. Think about this for a minute. He saved the nation. Saved a couple of nations. Think of the funeral this guy's going to have. I was reading uh, yesterday about a fella who died in World War II. A World War II vet had no family. And they were on Facebook just asking anybody would come to his funeral. There was a homeless guy last month, probably heard about this, who his wife dies and he is trying to find somebody to come. He's the only he's the only one. And hundreds show up. They don't even know them. Here's a guy that's been in the headlines for for a long, long time. He's even married an Egyptian, a a, a, a daughter of an Egyptian priest, and he has been successful in this place. He has experienced great success and great prosperity in Egypt, not in Canaan. In Egypt. More of his life has been spent in Egypt than he did in Canaan. How long was he there? Let's see. 17 years in Canaan and the rest of it. How many? I knew Gary would know the number. 93 years he's in Egypt. And he doesn't want to stay! It must have been horrible. Oh, yeah, I was luxury all the time. People waiting on me. People bowing down before me. Ah, I got boring. It's it's incredible life. Yet Joseph says, I don't want to be with the Egyptians. I want to be with the Israelites. So don't bury me here. I want to be buried over there. Well, we'll take you now. No, no, no. I want to wait. I want to go when you all go. Why would you talk like that, Joseph? Why say that something like that? I mean, it's it's why talk like that? And I was thinking, I put myself in Joseph's shoes, and I can just see him. I'll tell you why, Tim. Egypt does not have my heart. And if God can bless me here, like this. What could he do where he promised? I get too attached to this world. I get so caught up in worrying about the stuff in this world. I get so caught up in getting the stuff in this world, forgetting that, yes, and God, by the way, God has been so incredibly good to me. 
And some of you here I know can say that and more. Blessed you with so much. I got news for you. Prosperity is a great tempter of our faith. Just as much as pain. Maybe more. Because pain makes me call out to God, but prosperity makes me think I'm doing it. Huh? And Joseph says, as prosperous as I've been, as successful as I've been, as good as it's been, and God has made it good. He meant it for good. So God's going to give us good on this earth. Oh, let me tell you, it's going to be much, much, and pardon my Southern Illinois English, much gooder over there. It's going to be awesome. But Canaan is what's in Canaan? You were treated horribly in Canaan. You were treated horribly there. Why would you want to go back there? Because that's what God promised. He promised my great-grandfather Abraham, my grandfather Isaac, my dad Jacob, and He promises me, and He promises you that it's much better there. Because remember now, in the context of His of his desire here, He's saying, I want to be buried over there. I don't want to stay in Egypt. Things are going really well in Goshen. Joseph is still known. Later he'd be forgotten, and another Pharaoh would come up, and that's when everything went south in a hurry, okay? But it's going so well. Why would we want to leave? Because this is not where you're supposed to be. Don't get too attached to it. There's something much better. Look what he says in chapter 50 again, verse 24. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come and get you and bring you out of the land of Egypt and take you back to the land He promised. Didn't you tell Jacob that? Remember when Jacob left? I'm not leaving. I'm not care. I'm not, not no way, not no how. And he goes, you're... God has to step in and say, Jacob, go ahead and go. Your son is in Egypt. I will bring you back. You're not going to stay there. I will bring you back. And Joseph has the same desire, has the same thing. Let me ask you this morning, which has your heart, the world or heaven itself? Which has your heart? What are you attached to? What do you think of the most? What do you worry about over the most? What are you, what are you working toward the most? Is it all this stuff that we're going to leave, you and I are going to leave behind? Because you and I can't take it with us. Look what it says at First John here. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. You know what I find interesting? Is that Joseph's brothers don't ask to be buried in Canaan. We have no, rec- no record of them asking that. In fact, there is a statement in Acts that I was reading I thought maybe I thought there was an exception to this, where Stephen mentions that the patriarchs were buried in Canaan. And I thought, well, that must be including the, the, the brothers of Joseph, too. It's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, not his brothers there. And what I see is then, so is it significant that the brothers stayed and were buried in Egypt? I think it is, because it says they got attached And they were robbed of the promise because of that. They got attached. But Joseph says, look, Egypt's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Probably that was the first time that song was sung. I belong in a place that God has promised. 
And you do too. And that is still true today. You and I, we belong somewhere else. I know people have said to you, I wish you'd leave. Yeah. Well, God's saying the same thing. I want you to know, you're going to leave, whether you wish or not. And I want you to be with me. And Joseph is saying, God is going to take you out of here. And then he says, I want to go with you. I don't want you to take me over there and then and then wait for you. I want to wait with you. I want to participate with you. I want to stick around. And see, Joseph, by sticking around, reminds Israel. He reminds Israel, hey, your last wish is important and you're not supposed to stay here. So let me ask you something. What does your faith reveal about you? What do you find? I'm not, I've, I've asked these same questions of myself. What do I find myself focused on way too much? Way too much. Because it's going to shape your last wish. What you really... I'm not just going to live for, but die with. Number three, my faith in God continues to speak long after I'm gone. Again, I, I know this, you say, this sounds like a good funeral. I think it's a good funeral lesson too. I have to admit, I like this. And I like to say, being, being at a couple of visitations, I don't want to sound morbid, but you know, but you know, when you go to, we're going to see more of these funerals, by the way, folks, more and more people. And this is the way it is when you get older. But I, I, I couldn't help but think about, um, God triggered a memory in my mind this morning. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I'm now a trustee of a family plot or family cemetery in southern Illinois. It belongs to the St. Ledger family. I'm named after my great-grandfather. His father is buried there, Thomas St. Ledger, with, it, with his mom, Sarah. Danny knows where this is. And, and uh, as kids, when we were little small kids, every Memorial Day weekend, we would go out there and Dad would... Take a mower and mow it. It's not very big. Not here to the... Not that big, Danny? Yeah. And he would... And it had no gate. You had this iron ladder. You had to climb and take the push mower and pull it and then start it up. And the grass was always real tall and Dad would be whacking, hacking away and cussing and stuff. And my grandmother was always with us. Which was... A, she was a St. Ledger. And... And there I with Danny and I, a little bitty, five, seven, eight years old. And there was no weed whackers back then. You didn't have no weed eater. The weed eater was, you pull your ants. Come over here, Tim, Danny, come on. And what are we going to do? We're going to pull the weeds around the tombstones. And so off, and there's several tombstones. And we're, and she would tell us about these people. You know who this is? No. That's a crazy uncle. Let me tell you a crazy story about him. <laughs> Then we get to the we get to this big big monument, which was Thomas and Sarah. Now this is your great great grandfather and grandmother. And let me tell you about them. They came from Europe, and when they came from Europe, they came uh, uh, up through Canada and snuck down through Canada. We were, uh, you know, we jumped the border, jumped the wall to get here. And so and and, and he goes and and uh, on his way, uh, they bought a kettle, and I've got that family kettle by the way. We happen to have it. But he's telling me all these stories about about our family. 
And I'm going, Grandma, I don't understand. Uh, Great-grandpa lives way over there. Why is the cemetery here? Well, this is it used to be a stagecoach that would run through here, and this was a stopping place. And, and this is where they, they were buried. This is, what, this is the family plot. Have you noticed that most of the St. Ledgers build their houses on top of knobs everywhere? Yeah, what's that about? That's just the family quirkiness that we have, and that's what we do. And so, and so I'm, you know, and, and it's old houses, and she's telling me all these old stories about the family. There's a stone off by itself or on the end, and you can barely read it. I go, what's that? He goes, that's a baby. Oh, well, who had the baby? Well, no, that baby's not a part of our family. What's it doing in here? Well, this baby was left at this stagecoach place, at this rest stop, and by someone. And we, we tried, our family tried to take care of it, but the baby died. and had no place to be buried, so we buried it with the family. I learned a lot about my family, see, how they feel about people, what their values are, what matters to them. You know, it's funny, I go by as, as a trustee and I, I took my Uncle Herschel's place. Nathan will take my place. He's already on the, on the books to take my place after I'm done. When I go to that cemetery, and I go to it about twice a year, and I say, Tim, why? I'm a trustee and it, and it means it's something special to me. Do you know when I go there, that iron, they've got a gate now, we've got a gate, but there's that iron steps are still there. And I can hear my grandmother telling those stories again. And I hear those stories again. It's like those markers, those, those tombstones speak to me. I couldn't help but think about it. Joseph speaks from his grave long after he's gone. And so do you. You and I speak from... I, I don't know if you, if you got anybody, you know, what's your plan to put on your tombstone. I'm thinking of changing. I was going to put, I told you I was sick. I was going to have that on there. And then I was going to have a to-do list of things I didn't get to done, you know. And, and then I thought, you know, maybe I ought to have something else. What do I want people to remember me by? And you know what I really want people to remember me by? It's my faith. My faith. Not autoglass. You know, Second uh, Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul talks about, uh, about some people speaking, I think, from the grave here. It's my opinion. Look, he says to Timothy, as I think of your strong faith that was passed down through your family line, it began with your grandmother Lois. By the way, where do, how does a faith get passed down? Oh, by reading the Bible. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Oh, let's get real, folks. Faith is passed down by our families. It's passed down from the family line. I, I'm not saying don't read your Bible. We need to hear the Word of God from the lips of family. They need to hear faith coming out of our mouth over and over and over again. It says, from your family line to your grand, from your grandmother's Lois who passed it to her dear mother Eunice and it's clear that you too are following in the footsteps of their godly example. See, Joseph wanted to stick around because he had more to say. He had a lot more to say to his family and to his people. And that's why he doesn't want to be immediately buried in, in, in Canaan. He wants to be around his people. He wants to leave with them. Like I said, he wants to participate in God's deliverance with them. And how long does he wait? 400 years. And how long is he in Egypt? 400 years. I was doing a little, I was reading a sermon from the 1800s. If you get past the, the strange language of the 1800s, um, it was, it was interesting. 
This fellow says, in Egypt, and he mentions a Saqqara uh, region, there is, a, there is a pyramid. It's the oldest, one of the oldest pyramids in uh, the Cairo area. It's south of Cairo. And he says, in this pyramid, there, is, uh, there are lots of tombs, and one is reserved for a guy um, by the name of Estuf. And, it's, and, and the title that Estuf bears in this tomb, it says, the director of the granaries. I thought, yeah, right. I mean, they didn't have stuff dug up back then. Oh, yes, they did. So I've been researching, I've been reading, and I'm trying to understand. There's a lot of, lot of stuff to understand here. But I realized that the, I did notice this. The pyramid that was made for Joseph's burial by the pharaohs was in south of Cairo. By the way, this, this tomb is empty. Well, of course, they took the body. No, no. Um, he wasn't buried there. He refused to be buried there. Yeah, the, the sarcophagus is facing north in this little tomb, and that's telling us that he's not an Egyptian, whoever this is reserved for. And it's for this guy who's the director of the grain. He's named Estu. Recently, they've done, they've been, they keep digging around Egypt all the time. Recently, north of Cairo, in the land of Goshen, they discovered a villa and in this this comp, this living complex, they believe it to be Joseph's retirement home. And in the garden that's adjacent to this villa is a very small, tiny, miniature pyramid. And they find they found a statue with this pyramid. And this statue is of a, of a, a man holding. An Egyptian throw, which is like a, you know, you've seen them in the movies where they got the little thing with the hair on the end and they're throwing. I, got, I thought it was for swatting flies. It means authority. And it's over his shoulder. So this is the person of authority. His hair, his hair is not an Egyptian style at all. It's in the Hebrew style. His hair is red. Go figure. His hair is red. My brother's hair is red. I'm jealous. His hair is red. And he adorns this coat of many colors. Now what's interesting about this, this little miniature mini pyramid is it's the only one in Goshen. And like all the other pyramids that have been ransacked and robbed and broken into, people have just busted stuff and broke stuff. This one here, if they, believe, they can't figure it out. It's, 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 it's like the bricks have been all carefully removed and stacked up you know, like Tom Tarantino would. You know Tom. Probably got a straight edge and a level on it. Made sure it was perfect. Okay. <laughs> and 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 uh, like like something, the body inside this particular crypt was carefully removed. Now, why are you tell me all that stuff, man? Well, this tomb is in the middle of Goshen, and just imagine. Each time a family walked by the villa of Joseph that now Manasseh and Ephraim lived in, their family lived in, and they see this little tomb. What is that, Daddy? What is that, Mommy? Just like I asked my grandmother, What's, who's this? 
with Thomas and Sarah St. Ledger. And you could see the family, the guy go, oh, let me tell you, the dad go, let me tell you. Or mom would say, well, this is what it's about. It's about, that's Joseph. Who's Joseph? Why, why Joseph was sold by his brothers in slavery. He came, he suffered for several years, but then he became viceroy of, of Egypt. And he, you've heard of the story about the famine. Oh yeah, we learned that in school. Well, let me tell you, Joseph was the one that got us prepared. He saved our family. And your great, 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 great grandpa and your great, you know, they all moved back here and we lived here. And that's where we're living and we're waiting. Why is he here? Why is he, he's waiting with us for the day that we're finally going to leave this place. Well, why would we leave this place? I don't know. There's no reason to leave. But eventually there would be, wouldn't there? God will work out that plan. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, as it lists all these people of faith, it says this about Abel. This is how, how early faith works. This is Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. It says, it says here, Abel died, but through his faith he is still speaking. He's still speaking from the grave. He's still speaking after he's gone. And see, just like just like Joseph, just like Abel, just like Thomas St. Ledger, or whoever you know that's meant a lot to you and your family, they are speaking from the grave, folks. They still speak. And you will too. What are you going to say? What will you say? When someone goes, I remember Tim. He was goofy. He's funny. Talked like talked a lot about pigs. He made fun of Tom Tarantino one Sunday. Hurt his feelings. I'm always picking on Tom Tarantino, he used to say. That's because we're buddies. No, what, are we, what am I going to say? You know, I, I think about this. Listen, listen to me. They didn't have written scriptures to tell each other stories of what was going on of faith. And I, and I know, and listen, my, right now, like I say, my, my grandkids are, are reading about Charlotte's Web, and I'm asking, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to spoil it. And I'm going, so who's, what's the name of the rat? And Carmody goes, Templeton. Templeton is the name of the rat. And what's Templeton do? Well, he likes getting shiny things above. Oh. And, and who's the pig again? Wilbur. And who's Charlotte? The spider. And oh, you could just see the endearment when they, oh, she, she's wonderful to Wilbur. And I went, have, have they went to the state fair? What are you talking about, Papa? And Denise looks at me and goes, they don't they haven't got there yet. Charlotte's Web is one of my favorite stories. i got to tell you, I read it in high school and cried. I took it home in a paper bag so none of my friends would know what I was reading. And in the privacy of my bedroom, my mother, which a lot of mothers will ask, what are you doing up there? I'm like, nothing, Mom. Charlotte's dead. I'm balling. I'm 18 and I'm balling. I was 18. I was a senior and I'm balling. Some of the best stories. I mean, what do our kids get? Listen, parents, what, grandparents, what do our kids, what are they, what story are they going to remember? You want it to be the story of faith. Well, I'll pick a good one out of the Bible. No, no. Of your faith. Of your faith. What you believe. The struggles you went through. How God made it for good. How, how God blesses 
perseverance and faithfulness. That's the best story you can pass on to your children. And Joseph is doing that every day. And it's 400 years and he's still speaking to the children of Israel. What will you say? Let me tell you what you will say, what your kids will remember. It will be something like your last wish. Here's the last thing and then we'll go have some barbecue. My faith in God will one day be satisfied. If I learn anything from Joseph, he encourages me. Because guys, it's hard sometimes to follow God. It's hard to trust Him. It's hard to believe He's going to come through. And Joseph says, He will come through, Tim. He will come. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not easy for me to say. But I believe it's so. It wasn't easy for, for Joseph when he followed the Lord. And it's not easy for you and I. But you can be sure that one day God is going to satisfy. In fact, He's already satisfying our faith in so many ways. Look at what the Bible says here in Exodus. This is Exodus now. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. I kind of like to believe Joseph's the one that touched those bricks and opens up that little crypt. Oh, we can't forget. How did he know about Mo- How did he know about Joseph? How could he remember such things? It must have been an important deal to remember. Oh, we can't forget Joseph's bones. Remember Ten Commandments with Charlton Hess and Yul Brenner and the children of Israel walking out and you see a mummy. I don't know how many times my kids go, who's that? I go, that's Joseph. That's the body of Joseph. See, he wanted to go with them. Why was why is that so important? It tells them that God is good and God will work out even what's happening to them now for good. It says, For Joseph had made the sons of Israel vow before God that they would take his bones with him when God led them out of Egypt. And look at this. As he was sure God would do. He was, he knew God was, why? Because he'd come through so many other times. He knew he was going to come through. That promise hadn't changed. And so what's happened? Joseph leaves with God's people. And imagine now, I got to thinking about this. Think about this for a minute. So he, they're leaving out, out of Egypt. He passes through the Red Sea, just like the children of Israel. He, he is there when the Ten Commandments are, he receives the Ten Commandments like with the children of Israel. He uh, walks through the wilderness, or he is carried, they're dragging his body through the wilderness for 40 years. I didn't realize that. How do you know that, Tim? Because at the end of Joshua 24, after the conquest, after they finally took the land, look what it says. When the Israelites left Egypt, they carried the bones of Joseph with them. They buried them in Shechem, in the land Jacob had bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar. This land now belonged to Joseph's children. This is where Isaac and Abraham and Jacob are buried. He gets to come back. He's back in Canaan. But he had to wait even more. Like 50 years before finally he comes to rest. Why carry his bones around? Why carry it? Because God is going to satisfy Joseph's faith and he'll satisfy yours if you persevere. See, one day, and I believe God's already fulfilling a lot of this promise. I don't want to miss the promise, folks. I don't want you to miss the promise. The fulfillment of the promise of God in your life. 
It says here in Hebrews 11, after he talked about all these people, he said, God was, listen to this, he brings it, the Hebrew writer brings it back to the people that are alive at that time. And we read it as, as people alive at our time, these same words. God has pleased, was pleased with all of them because of their faith. But listen to this, but not one of them received God's great promise. God plans something better for us. Could I say this? God plans something good for us. I think I can get away with that. God plans something better or good for us. He wanted to make us perfect. Of course, He wanted those great people to be made perfect too. But not before we could all enjoy that blessing together. You see, like Joseph who wanted to participate with the children of Israel, the deliverance. These people of faith want to participate with you and I. Christ, Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to participate with them a fulfilled promise. That's how special it is to be a Christian today. How wonderful, how just we ought to cherish this and really honor God's name because of this. Because we're participating We're being blessed together. And it's, by the way, in Egypt, there's an empty tomb because the body was moved. There's an empty tomb. He moved himself. He didn't have to be carried out and walked out of that thing alive. And he's saying, I want to participate with you too. I want that to be my last wish. How about you? What will be your last wish? It's shaped by what you believe now. You have a card in your bulletin. You can respond to this lesson. Maybe there's something you want to pray about. You know, we don't have an altar call. We just let you decide. We think you can decide right where you are. Make a decision. Do you need to recommit your life to Christ? you need to rededicate your life to Christ? Maybe you've forgotten something. Maybe you've been too attached. I know I'm, I'm rededicating my life to not being so attached to the things of this world. That's what I'm doing this morning. Because i got so much stuff clamoring that wants to take my attention and my heart. I don't want the world to have my heart. I want heaven to have my heart. I want God to have my heart. And I hope you do too. And maybe that's what you're wanting and you need some prayer for that. Make a decision this morning. We're going to sing a song as you fill out your cards this morning. And then we'll sing another song and collect those cards up. Most of you know this routine. If you're a guest, we'll take your card. We don't want any money from you. That's, that's for members here. They'll give. But... Um, What is the Spirit of God prompting you to do to decide today? Let Him have His way and let Him form your last greatest wish. Let's pray. Father, thank You for um, this story, Father, of Joseph. We pray, Father, we, we just pray, help our faith build a good finish in our life. Help us hold on to the things of this world loosely and hold on to You tighter because we know this is all temporary. Let it be in the back of mind all the time. This is, this is only temporary. And what matters are the eternal things. Father, I just, th- I'm thinking of my grandmother Collins right now and 
how she encouraged me. She speaks from a little cemetery in Albion right now to me. A lot of family members are speaking to me right now, Father, and they're encouraging me to, to trust you. But Father, there's, there's a grave in Canaan somewhere of this man named Joseph, and he is speaking to all of us today, encouraging us to know that you work good, all the things that happen to us for good, and you have something so much better planned for us than what we can ever receive here on earth. Father, we pray that our legacy, our story, will speak about our faith to our children and to our grandchildren, that will pass on strong faith to the next generation. And Father, we long for when our faith will finally be replaced with sight and will truly be completely satisfied by what we have done by making this decision to trust you. Father, if somebody here is struggling with putting their faith in you, give them the courage, give them, prompt them with your Holy Spirit, give them the power to put their trust in you. Thank you for this empty tomb that your son once possessed that shows us the power of faith, the power of our faith. Comfort those, Father, today that have these bittersweet emotions about the passing of a family member. And Father, we pray that you help us always look forward, not so much backward, but look forward to what the good you have planned ahead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.